from him who orderly worked out not only all of creation, but orderly carried out and worked out our salvation, to whom we give thanks and praise. From him be all grace and mercy and peace. Amen. Our focus for a few moments of meditation this evening is from the first chapter of Genesis. There's a story of a starry-eyed young student who, in the throes of head-over-heels love with his fiancé, quit school, ran away, got married, shorted their degrees, and as a result, they were thrown into lives of social instability and economic ruin. And they did not live happily ever after proving the disastrous implications of putting one's heart before the course. Get it? Heart before the course? Cart before the horse? Yeah, okay. The reason our starry-eyed student and his beautiful fiancé need to be mentioned tonight on this Thanksgiving Eve, and I assure you that I would never have mentioned such a terrible pun if I didn't absolutely have to, is simply to drive home a very important theological point, and that is that contrary to the example set by this young couple, one thing does lead to another. And that's, I think, what we've been hearing all evening tonight as we have worked our way and continue to work our way through the first chapter of Genesis as we see this theme of one thing leading to another. In fact, there was another young student, a young man, who once pointed out that the account of the seven days of creation found in the first book of the Bible is an account of just that, an account of one thing leading to another. And so he goes on to explain just how that happens through these first six days of creation. It's kind of a wrong-headed explanation, but I think it bears hearing tonight. It goes something like this, day one. The Spirit of God hovers over the waters, inspecting the state of chaos. God begins creating and simultaneously opens this kind of Pandora's box with the immortal words, let there be light. And so light and darkness are separated, categorized, and named day and night, if for no other reason than simply to highlight just how good light is in contrast with the darkness. Good enough. Evening and morning, day one. But day two, there's a problem. Light's a great idea, and the day-night-light-darkness organization is an innovative packaging concept, but the simple fact of the matter is that light illuminates chaos and shows it for what it really is, this kind of terrible, watery mess that's going on, and God begins to sort through the slop of separating the waters into two types, waters up, namely the sky, and waters down, namely, well, there really is no name for that in the Bible, but good enough, evening and morning, day two. But then comes day three, this student explains, and there's another problem, the separation of waters above and the waters below is a great idea, and it truly serves its purpose to make chaos less chaotic, but it's a bit monotonous. 
So regardless of whether it's up or down, it's all still water. In addition, water alone really doesn't let the whole thing, this whole light thing, live up to its potential. I mean, the sky is blue, except at night when it's black. And the waters are blue, except at night when they're black. So certainly light has more interesting things to do than just be blue all the time. And so God creates dry ground, calling it land, to break up the monotony. Good enough? No, by early afternoon, another problem has reared its ugly head. The, the sloshing, swirling waters are eroding the newly created land vegetation, the roots of which hold the land together, and the colors of which give light something really interesting to play off of. Good enough. Evening and morning, day three. But then comes day four and there's another problem. The, the great idea of vegetation would work well with the great idea of land if it could be kept alive. But something is missing. And the plants are starting to look not so hot. So God rolls up some of the light into the sun and moon and stars and simultaneously creates days and nights and seasons and tides and mood lighting. Good enough. Evening and morning, day four. But then comes day five. Another problem. The great ideas of sun and moon and seasons are working well, but it's almost as though they're working too well. The plants are growing out of control and they're rapidly depleting their own supply of carbon dioxide, which they need to survive. So God creates fish and birds, both to consume the plants, keeping them in check, and to provide carbon dioxide through respiration. Good enough. Evening and morning, day five. And then comes day six and another problem. While the fish are doing just fine munching on algae and seaweed, the birds are having a little more difficulty. They, they refuse to eat the plants and are now themselves starving. And so God creates worms and grubs and insects and all those different kinds of things to feed the birds. And then God creates other animals, some that actually will eat plants. And God then creates human beings with their problem-solving capabilities to order and to organize, to care for and create, to live and to love. And there's evening and there's morning, day six. Well, what does this sort of skewed view of creation tell us? It simply tells us that one thing leads to another. Light leads to mess, leads to organization, leads to Blah, blue, leads to land, leads to erosion, leads to plants, leads to dead plants, leads to sun and seasons, leads to growth, leads to overgrowth, leads to fish and fowl, leads to starving fowl, leads to beasts and bugs, and leads to human beings to subdue the earth. Now, I have a little bit of a problem with the way this college student put the order of creation together because it seems to tell us that God is some kind of manic, bumbling guy who didn't quite get everything right in the first place, trying to control a creation that kind of went haywire. We know that that's a very wrong view of who God is and what God really is. And, and the God that we know from Scripture is a lavish giver 
who very intricately and orderly weave together the goodness of creation into a broad and complex tapestry, fitting all of the pieces of our universe from the tiniest bits of it to the most large, huge stars together with a very precise care and plan. Everything is custom molded and form-fitted to God's incredibly great plan. Life and love. So really, one thing does lead to another, and that's a great theme for Thanksgiving. During this time of harvest and plenty, both our church and our nation decided that it's a good thing to remind us all of the cause and effect relationship that exists between ourselves and our good God. One thing, namely God's lavish giving and his good gifts to us, leads to another, namely our thankfulness and praise to him. And of course, God's giving and loving and grace don't stop with the first chapter of Genesis, but they keep on going. Just read a few more chapters in Genesis and you'll see how one thing certainly does lead to another. One thing, sin, leads to another, that is death. Adam and Eve are driven out of the garden and must one day die. And yet even that horrendous problem is covered in God's great plan because the rest of Scripture... The entire rest of the Bible recounts the long and steady and intricate and perfect plan of God to work out your salvation and mine. In it, one thing leads to another and another and still another as promises are pro promised and prophecies are made and the world is made ready, as Abraham is called and a nation is formed from his offspring and a covenant is made at Sinai, and finally the world is ready and Christ, as we are about to celebrate, is born into this world. God made flesh. And one thing, God's great grace leads to another, the most important thing, redemption, salvation, new life, eternity, which leads to God instituting baptism to deliver it all to you and to me in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's the good news that we share during this time of thanksgiving. That even as we are part of God's creation, molded out of God's design and shaped with God's own hands, we're called to join in the hymn of all creation, the hymn of thanks and praise. Because one thing leads to another, the forests whisper. One thing leads to another, the oceans roar. One thing leads to another, the starry heavens echo. One thing leads to another, the birds chirp and the lions roar and the dogs bark and the whales sing. God's love and forgiveness leads to our thanks and praise. Amen. Thanks be to God. Amen.